0: if we could, uh, for a short while, if we could turn back to that portion of scripture that we read. uh, Paul's letter to the Romans on chapter 8. We're going to try and look at the whole chapter. I know you could probably spend weeks studying this uh, wonderful chapter. But we're going to try and look at the whole chapter this evening. Uh, But if we just read again at verse 1. Romans chapter 8. And verse 1, where Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now this evening, as I mentioned to you, that we're bringing our study of the person and work of the Holy Spirit uh, to a conclusion. And you could say that we've learned a lot in our study. Well, I've learned a lot anyway. I don't know about yourself, but uh, we've learned that the Holy Spirit brings, uh, or when he begins to work in our life, he brings form, fullness, and fellowship. And the Holy Spirit, we've said, he does that because the Word of God is inspired. The Bible is is God-breathed, it's Spirit-filled, it's the divine breath of God, the Holy Spirit. Which means that this book that we read, when we've come to know and love, it's a living book. And it's a book that speaks into our daily lives and into our daily situations. It's a book that shapes us and moulds us into the image of Jesus Christ. But what we've also discovered is that in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament church, the Holy Spirit dwelt in saints and upon servants. But now in the New Testament church, today, the Holy Spirit dwells in all of us as saints and upon all of us. As servants, So we're all servants, and we're all to be witnesses for Jesus to the ends of the earth. We've also learned that by God's grace, we've been baptised with the Holy Spirit. We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the promise of salvation. Through our daily reading and studying of God's word, we are daily being led by the Spirit. And because of our salvation, we've also received spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit, And these spiritual gifts, as we said before, they are to be used for the good of the church and for the glory of God. But now this evening, as we bring our study to a conclusion, I want us to consider how the Holy Spirit works in us personally. Of course, we've talked about how the Holy Spirit works, but how does he work in us personally? And I want us to think about it under the title, The Spirit and Me. The Spirit and Me. You know, there's no better chapter in the Bible to help us think about this topic uh, than Romans chapter 8. Because Romans chapter 8, it's a favourite chapter of many of the Lord's people. And and it's a favourite chapter because it reminds us of the Christian's hope and assurance. And that that hope and assurance, it comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling in the heart of the Christian And the hope and assurance which Paul reminds us of in this chapter is that when we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we have the promise of no condemnation from Christ and no separation from Christ. And you know, what better hope and assurance to have in the Christian life? What better hope and assurance to have that when we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we have the promise of no condemnation from Christ and also, no separation from Christ. And that's what Paul emphasizes in Romans chapter 8. But I want us to note four areas in which the Holy Spirit plays a key role in the life of the Christian. And that's what we see in this chapter four areas in which the Holy Spirit plays a key role in the life of the Christian. And these four areas are salvation, sonship, supplication. And separation. Four S's for you. Salvation, sonship, supplication, and separation. Four key areas. So the first area, key area in the life of the Christian is salvation. Salvation. Let's look look again at verses 1 and 2. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now don't you just love the opening words of Romans chapter 8 because they're just full of hope. They're full of assurance for the Christian. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And you know that's how Paul often describes salvation. Salvation. He describes salvation as being in Christ Jesus. We're being in, we are in Christ. Because for Paul, salvation is when you're in union with Christ. Salvation is when you're united to Jesus Christ by faith. And you know, Paul, he loves this concept of union with Christ because he writes about it in almost every one of his letters. And every time he writes about it, Paul is emphasising how precious our salvation is because of our union with Christ. In fact, he says that our union with Christ, it came into being the moment we were effectually called by the Holy Spirit. Because when we were effectually called by the Holy Spirit, the Catechism reminds us that the Holy Spirit, he convinced us of our sin and misery. He enlightened our minds in the knowledge of Christ. He renewed our will. He persuaded us and enabled us to embrace Jesus Christ as he's freely offered to us in the gospel. And in that moment of being effectually called in the gospel, we were regenerated by the Spirit. We were made alive by the Holy Spirit. We were brought from death to life. We were brought from Death in Adam to life in Christ. That's what regeneration is. Being brought from death to life. Darkness to light. The dungeon to liberty. And it's when we were effectually called and regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's at that moment we were united to Jesus Christ. We were brought to know union. This mystical marriage union between Christ and the Christian. And, you know, the wonder of our salvation tonight is that through our union with Christ by the Holy Spirit, we have received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All the blessings and promises of heaven, they are ours tonight because of our union with Jesus Christ. But, you know, Paul, he not only emphasizes here what we have graciously received by being in union with Christ, The Holy Spirit. Paul also emphasizes what we don't receive by being in union with Christ by the Holy Spirit because he says in verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ (coughs) Jesus. There was condemnation for us when we were dead in sin, when we were in union with the first Adam, but now there is no condemnation. Because we've been made alive by the Holy Spirit and we've been united to Jesus Christ by faith. My friend, in Christ, we have a new status. There is no condemnation. We are in Christ. We have a new status and that new status is because we have a new relationship. In fact, we have a new relationship, as Paul says, with the law of God. We have a new relationship with the law of God through our union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. Because the law, it condemns us. The law condemns us because of sin. But through our union with Christ by the Holy Spirit, Paul says we have been set free from the condemnation of the law. That's what he reminds us in verse 2. He says, for the law of the spirit of life You know, my friend, our hope and assurance of salvation tonight is not in what we've done for ourselves and not even what we're doing for ourselves. Our hope and assurance of salvation tonight is in what God has done for us and what God is still doing for us in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been set free, he says. We've been set free from the condemnation of the law, a law which we once despised and broke continually because of our sin and disobedience. And we broke it continually because we were in union with the first Adam. Our catechism reminds us that when Adam sinned, we fell with him. We we fell with him. We sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. But the wonder of wonders is that tonight we are in union with Christ. God sent the last Adam. And he condemned the last Adam in the flesh. In the flesh of the last Adam. And in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be met. In order that condemnation could be served. In order that we could be presented as righteous before a holy God. In order that we would not receive condemnation. God sent his own son and condemned him to death. My friend, this is our hope. And our assurance. Of salvation tonight. That because Jesus Christ received condemnation. In the flesh of Adam. We have received no condemnation. Through our union with Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know it's because of the hope and assurance that we have through Christ. You know it's because, we sh- it's because of that. That we should be able to say with the hymn writer. And you know I'm always going back to the same hymn. When I think of these wonderful truths of Scripture, because they just sum up our hope and assurance. Do you know how Philip Bliss he said, Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a saviour. You know, that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Guilty, vile and helpless we. Spotless lamb of God was was he. Full redemption, can it be. Hallelujah, what a saviour. My friend, this is our hope and assurance as a Christian tonight, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But you know, Paul He doesn't stop there because he goes on in verses five to eight and he gives gives to us marks of the Christian so that we'll know whether or not we've received this great salvation. Because having explained this wonderful salvation of being in union with Christ by the Holy Spirit, Paul now wants us to examine ourselves and ask, am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? Have I received this promised hope and assurance God and with this Paul he's asking us what's your mindset? What's your mindset like? What's your your focus in life? What's your priority in life? Who is Lord over your life? Who do you put first? Because to be Lord over your own life and to put yourself first that's evidence that you're still living according to the flesh and as Paul says to set your mind on the flesh is death. It doesn't please God. But what's pleasing to God, says Paul, and what's an evidence of your salvation is when we put the Lord first and when we make the Lord our priority by living according to the Spirit and setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. And the things of the Spirit, of course, they are Christ, His Word, and His Church. My friend, an evidence that we're in union with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus is Lord over our life and he's first in everything. An evidence of the Spirit working in us is that we are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and knowing then that all other things will be added unto us. An evidence of the Spirit is putting Jesus first. And so we're considering four areas in which the Holy Spirit plays a key role in the life of the Christian. So the first area is salvation. The second is sonship. Sonship. Now look at verse 9. Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so having questioned our status of salvation and even encouraged us to do the same, Paul very quickly reaffirms to us that as Christians, we're not in the flesh, but we're actually in the Spirit. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And he says we're in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we belong to Jesus. We're in Christ Jesus. We're in union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. And because we're in Christ, he says, we're alive. We've been made alive by the Spirit. And it's the same Spirit, says Paul, who raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. It's that same Spirit who dwells in you. That's what he says in verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And it's because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you've been set free from the power of sin and death. You're no longer enslaved to sin. And Paul applies this to us by saying, you have freedom in Christ. It should encourage you and enable you to put to death the deeds of the body. Your freedom in Christ should encourage you and enable you to put to death the deeds of the body. I love the way the authorized version uh, translates this. It's where Paul says that because of our freedom in Christ, we should mortify the deeds of the body. We should mortify the deeds of the body. That's what he's saying in verses 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we are to mortify the deeds of the body so that we will live. You know, it was John Owen, uh, the Puritan. He wrote that famous book, uh, The Mortification of Sin. Uh, Maybe you've read it. Uh, Maybe you've read the Puritan paperback version. It's a brilliant book. And John Owen, he writes famously in that book, uh, the quote, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And it's a very simple statement, but also very powerful. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And my friend, because of our union with Christ, and because we've been made alive by the Holy Spirit, we are to be killing the very thing that brought us into an estate (coughs) of death. In the first place. We're to be killing sin. We're to put to death the deeds of the body. We're to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And we should be encouraged and enabled to do it, says Paul in verse 15, because we have not received the spirit of slavery. We are not bound by sin anymore. We are free in Christ. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer bound by its power and its hold over our lives. No, says Paul. As Christians, we have received the spirit of adoption. We've been made alive and set free by the spirit. We've been united to Jesus Christ. And because we're in union with Jesus Christ, the son of God, we've received the spirit of adoption. That's what he says in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And what Paul is saying is that we've we've received the spirit of adoption. We've been numbered as the children of God. Where God is now our Father in heaven. And he's our Father in heaven in whom we can come to in all our weakness and in all our brokenness. And we're able to cry to him, as Paul says, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And you know the word Abba. It's just the Hebrew word for father. So what literally Paul is saying is, we've received the spirit of adoption as children by whom we can cry, Father, Father. But the reason Paul wrote Father, Father, and when he wrote it originally, he wrote it in first in Hebrew and then in Greek. And the reason he wrote in both Hebrew and Greek was to remind us that there's no one to whom God cannot be a father. <clears throat> There's no one, whether Jew or Gentile, there is no one in this world who cannot receive the spirit of adoption. There's no one who cannot be made alive and set free by the spirit and united to Jesus Christ and made a child of God. There's no one outside of God's reach. There's no one who is unable to cry, Father, Father. And, my friend, the beautiful thing about being the children of God is that God is our Father and Jesus is our elder brother. And as children of our Heavenly Father, Paul goes on to say that we are heirs of His inheritance. We are heirs with God. We're joint heirs with Christ. And we're heirs of God because we're in union with Christ by the Spirit. We've received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places because we're in Christ Jesus. And my friend, our inheritance that Paul speaks about, that is ours because of our union with the royal king of heaven. And our inheritance, Peter reminds us, it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fadeth not away, but it's been reserved in heaven for us. And you know, my friend, in the midst of all that goes on in life, with all the ups and all the downs, what better hope and assurance to have than to know that God is your father, Jesus is your saviour and elder brother, and that you have a great inheritance awaiting you on the other side of the veil. What better hope and assurance to have? And you know, that's what Paul even reminds us in verse 18, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know, by the encouragement and the enabling of the Holy Spirit, we're not to look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen, says Paul, they're temporal. But the things that are unseen, they are eternal. And so as we consider four areas in which the Holy Spirit plays a key role in the life of the Christian, we see that the first is salvation, the second is sonship and the third is supplication salvation sonship and supplication look at verse 19 he says for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of god for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subject who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul begins verse 19 by using the creation as this helpful illustration to remind us of the hope and assurance of the Christian. Because Paul says that, like ourselves, the creation has been groaning, and it has been groaning since the fall of Adam. But because of the salvation accomplished by Jesus Christ, Paul says that the creation will also one day be set free from sin and decay. And that freedom from sin and decay is the same freedom we will experience as the children of God. But you know, in order to emphasise the suffering of the creation and then the freedom from the suffering that awaits the creation and ourselves... In order to emphasise it, Paul uses the vivid illustration of the pains of, of childbirth. He says in verse 22, We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. <coughs> now, I don't know how many of you watch the TV programme called the Midwife. I'm sure the men don't watch it at all. But interestingly, well, they've been uh, filming, or they're currently filming over in Carloway. But even if you've never watched Call the Midwife, or maybe you've seen, or even um, some of you have experienced childbirth for yourself, then you'll know that in those moments before a baby is born, the pains of childbirth are increasing all the time. And that excruciating pain, it builds and builds and builds to a climax, and then the child is born. And once a child is born, the pains of childbirth are over, and there's this joy of holding a newborn baby. And that's the vivid illustration Paul is presenting us. Paul is reminding us that in this life, there will be suffering. And that suffering will build and build and build, even right up until our death. But one day, he says, we will be free from suffering. One day, the pain will be exchanged with joy. Which means that our salvation tonight is not yet complete. Because the work of salvation, it's amazing, it involves the past, the present and the future. In salvation we're saved, we're being saved and we will be saved. Therefore our salvation, it will not be complete until our soul and body are reunited as at the resurrection on the last day. And for that day, says Paul, we hope. That's what we're hoping for. Look at what he says in verse 24. For in this hope we are saved. The hope of the resurrection. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. Now the hope of the Christian is not an uncertain hope. It's a sure hope. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews says that the hope of the Christian is Christ himself. He's the anchor of our soul and he's sure and steadfast. And in him and in him alone, our hope is sure and steadfast. But as those who have hope and assurance in the Lord, Paul says, we're to wait upon the Lord. If our hope is in the Lord, we're to wait upon the Lord. And as those who who wait upon the lord were to wait upon the lord in prayer and supplication and what's remarkable is that the spirit not only gives to us hope and assurance of salvation paul reminds us here that the, the spirit also gives to us hope and assurance in our supplication he says in verse 26 likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Don't you just love that? That in all the pains and difficulties of life, with groanings and decay, with illness and brokenness, with heartache and sorrow, despite all these things, your union with Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit, it gives to you the hope and assurance that in your prayers and supplications, you don't even need words. You don't even need words. Because when you're at your lowest and your weakest, when you're at your most vulnerable and you're waiting upon the Lord in prayer, it's the Holy Spirit who's interceding on your behalf. And as he intercedes, the Spirit He enables you to pray according to the will of God. He enables you to submit to the will of God. And my friend, when you submit to the will of God through prayer and supplication, Paul reminds us that we will know that all things will work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. It's when we're brought to our lowest and that we're praying according to the will of God by the Spirit that we know that the Lord is in control. And he's working all things together for good. My friend, despite all the struggles you may face in this life, the purpose of God in your life is the completion of your salvation. That's what it's all about. He's begun the good work in you. He began it even in eternity past. And he will bring it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And, you know, that's what Paul, he goes on to explain. This is why the whole chapter is so wonderful to read together. He goes on to explain in verses 29 and 30 that our, our salvation, it began in the realms of eternity and our salvation, it will be completed by God when our body and soul reunites in glorification at the resurrection. That's what he says in verse 29. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. He effectually called them. And those whom he called, he also justified. They're justified by faith. And those whom he justified, he will one day glorify them. He will one day glorify them. My friend, as the Lord's people, we have a wonderful hope and assurance because of our union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. You have a wonderful hope and assurance. But there's more. There's more. As we said, there are four areas in which the Holy Spirit plays a key role in the life of the Christian. The first is salvation. The second is sonship. The third is supplication. And lastly, there is separation. Salvation, sonship, supplication, and separation. Look at verse 31. Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I know, in the closing verses of this wonderful chapter, having considered that our salvation is because of our union with Christ by the Holy Spirit, and that our sonship is because we've received the spirit of adoption, and our supplication is through, as Paul said, the intercession of the spirit. It's because of all this that Paul responds by asking all these, you could say, rhetorical questions about the wonder and glory of our hope and assurance in Jesus Christ. He asks all these rhetorical questions. He says in verse 31, what then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, Shall tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Danger? No. Or sword? No. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And it's with that, having asked all these rhetorical questions, and yet questions which are full of hope and full of assurance for the Christian, Paul now says, I am persuaded. I am absolutely persuaded that in my salvation I am in union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. I am persuaded that I have sonship in Christ by the spirit of adoption. I am persuaded that I have supplication through Christ by the intercession of the Holy Spirit. And because of all this, my hope and assurance of salvation, sonship and supplication in all this, I am persuaded that nothing and no one will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is the wonder and hope of our salvation, he says. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come neither height nor depth nor any other creature is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know, my friend, these verses are some of the most comforting words in the Bible because they remind us And they remind you that through your union with Christ, by the Holy Spirit, Christ lives in you. This is the wonder of it. He lives in you. And because he lives in you, his promise is true. I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. My friend, you have hope and assurance that Christ is with you because he lives in you. He lives in you by the Spirit, and if he lives in you, he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. And the wonder of it is, because he lives in you, you can say, he's always with me. He's always with me. He's with me everywhere I go. He's with me when I go to work. He's with me when I go to the school. He's with me when I go shopping. He's with me when I go in my car. But not only that, because he lives in me, he's with me when I face opposition for my faith. He's with me when I go through illness. He's with me when I experience sorrow. He's with me when I'm confronted with things that seem too much for me to bear. And he's with me because he lives in me by his Holy Spirit. His promise is faithful and true. I will never leave you. And I will never, ever forsake you. My friend, Jesus Christ will never leave you and never forsake you because he lives in you by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and me. It's all about Jesus. My friend, we have a great and glorious salvation because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have salvation because of our union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. We have sonship because we've received the spirit of adoption. We have supplication through the intercession of the Holy Spirit and we have the promise of no separation because Christ lives in me by his Holy Spirit. What better hope and assurance to have in this life and even in death itself? What better hope to have than this hope? Well, may the Lord bless our study and his word to us. Let us pray. O Lord our gracious God we marvel at thy salvation that thou wouldest work in our hearts those who are the dust of the earth we bless thee O Lord and we praise thee that thou art the God of heaven and that the God of heaven looked upon us sinners such as we are we marvel Lord that we have been drawn to thyself that we have been united to Jesus Christ that we have been effectually called and regenerated that our the God who has begun that good work in us and who promises to bring it on to completion, help us then we pray to have that wonderful hope and that great assurance that Jesus is with us every day of life and he's with us because he's in us. He is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Help us then we pray to keep walking in the Spirit, to keep being led by the Spirit, and through Him. Through the work of the Spirit in our lives, that we would look ever to Jesus, knowing that He is the Author, and He remains the Finisher of our faith. Lord, bless us in our weakness, encourage us, we ask, keep us, we pray, and go before us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, we're going to bring our study or a service to a conclusion by singing to God's praise in Psalm 71 Psalm 71 uh, page 310 Psalm 71 we're singing from the beginning down to the verse marked 5 O Lord, my hope and confidence is placed in thee alone. Then let thy servant never be put to confusion. And let me in thy righteousness from thee deliverance have. Cause me escape and thine ear unto me and me save. And we we'll sing on down to the verse marked five of Psalm 71 to God's praise. O Lord, my hope and